Welcome to the Parasha and Halakha audio series, a presentation of contemporary halachic topics as they relate to the Parasha Tashavua. The Sephardic Halakha Center is committed to advancing the research and application of halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halakhic consultation, monetary bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, and for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email us at info at thshc.org. The following is an introduction from Harav Shmuel Pinchasi Shlita, the Nasi of the Sephardic Halakha Center, followed by a loose translation of his remarks. אני חייב לומר במילים ספורות שגדולת תלמוד שהביאה לידי מעשה ורבותינו ראו את נושא ההלכה עד כמה זה חשוב עד שאומרים שחדי קודש הבריחו לעסוק השמט את העלים הדעים חטא חז"ל אומרים אוהב השם שערי ציון מכל משכנות יעקב אוהב השם שערים המצוינים בהלכה יותר מכל בתי כנסיות ובתי מדרשות כמה זה חשוב בתי כנסת, כמה זה חשוב בתי מדרשות. אין ספק שכל מילה בתורה יש בזה תילי תילים של שכר בעולם הזה, בעולם הבא, אבל אין מעלה כגודל לימוד התורה, במיוחד כשמגיעה הלכה למעשה. עד כדי כך שחז"ל אומרים שמאז שחרה בית המקדש לא זזה השכינה מכותל המערבי, אבל רבותינו אומרים שאין לו לקדוש ברוך הוא אלא דלת אמות של הלכה. כלומר, יש שני דברים. יש כותל המערבי, יש בית המקדש שלצערנו עדיין אנחנו מתאבים ושואבים, שואפים לקיים את ה... להקים שכינה מאפרה, אבל אין לו לקדוש ברוך הוא אלא דלת אמות של הלכה. זו מעלת ההלכה. והחתם סופר מסביר ואומר, יש שניים שהקדוש ברוך הוא בוכה עליהם. אחד שיכול ללמוד והוא לא לומד. והשני, שהוא לא יכול ללמוד ולומד, שואל החטף סופר, שאלה ידועה ומפורסמת, מי שם אדם שיכול ללמוד ולא לומד? אז הקדוש ברוך הוא בוכה עליו, כי חבל על דאבדין, עוד כישרון, עוד כוח, אבל למה הקדוש ברוך הוא בוכה על מי שלא יכול ללמוד ולומד? אומר החטף סופר פלאי פלאות, הוא אומר, הוא לא יכול ללמוד פלפול. והוא לומד פלפול, והיה יכול להיות גדול בהלכה. היה יכול להיות במושגים של הלכה, מסיק שמטה לבדי הלכתה, ויכול להגיע לדרגות של ללבד הלכה. אבל הוא לא לומד הלכה, הוא לומד דבר אחר. ועל זה הקדוש ברוך הוא כואב, ועל זה הוא בעצם בוכה, כאילו חבל מאוד שהוא מתעסק בדברים אחרים, שהם אולי באמת חשובים, אבל אין להם תועלת כל כך, כמו זה שיכול להגיע לידי... הלכה, לליבון ההלכה. ולכן אני אומר, אשריכם ואשר חלקכם שאתם עוסקים בלימוד ההלכה, ובמיוחד הרבנים הגאונים, שהם באמת תורמים מזמנם, ממרצם, מעונם ועונם, הונם ועונם, שברוך השם באים ועושים מלאכת קודש ללמוד וללמד הלכה צרופה, הלכה ברורה. אני מאחל לכולם שידיכם לגאון ולתפארת. ולהעלות בעזרת השם ביתר סד וביתר אה, 
עוז בלימוד ההלכה, ובעזרת השם, שכר לימודכם יעלה בידכם להגדיל תורה ולהדירה. אמן. Rav Shmuel Ben-Fasi says the following, With the permission of my brothers and friends, I just want to say a few words about the greatness of Talmud Torah, which leads to action. Chachamim extol the virtue of Limud Halakha so much that they state that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has special pleasure in the study of Torah for the purpose of knowing the correct Halakha. Hazal say on the Pasuk, Ohev Hashem Sha'aret Zion Mikol Mishkenot Yaakov that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves the study halls of Halakha more than any other Batei Knesset and Batei Midrash. There is no doubt that every word of Torah merits a tremendous amount of reward in Olam Hazeh and Olam Abba, but there is no greater virtue than the study of Torah Halakha Lema'aseh. The Rabbis say that since the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, the Shekhinah has not left the Kotel HaMa'aravi. On the other hand, The rabbis also say that after the destruction, HaKadosh Baruch Hu only has in his world the four amot of halacha. Hachamim are comparing our yearning for the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash and restoring the glory of the Shekhinah to the tremendous ma'ala of studying halacha. The Hatam Sofer explains that the Gemara says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu cries over two types of people, one who can learn and does not learn, and one who cannot learn and learns. The question is obvious. It is clearly unfortunate that one who can, can learn and does not learn. The question is obvious. Clearly, it is unfortunate that one can learn and does not learn. What a waste of potential and kohot. However, what is wrong with one who cannot learn and nevertheless pushes himself to learn? The Hatam Sofer answers that the Gemara is referring to one who cannot learn on the deep level of Pilpul and nevertheless attempts to do so at the expense of knowing halakha. This, so to speak, pains HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that although this person is obviously learning important things, still he is neglecting the important study of halakha. Therefore, I commend those who study halakha, especially the very knowledgeable rabbis of the Sephardic Halakha Center, who invest time, effort, and money in clarifying and arriving at the proper, proper halakhic conclusion and teaching them to the tzibur. I bless them to continue with this Malachat HaKodesh and may they merit to see much success in this great endeavor. L'Hagdil Torah U'Ha'adira Amen. The following shi'ur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shi'urim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's one 844 Hello everybody, this is Shlomo Cohen with a shiur on Parashat Bamidbar. In Parashat Bamidbar, the Pasuk says, Vayom Hashem al Moshe pakot kol b'chol zachar lebenei Yisrael b'ben chodish u'mala, sa'at mispar shemotam. A special counting was done of the firstborn. The b'chol is the firstborn. A special counting was done of them. And we're told in the Pasuk that they were holy. There's a special holiness to the firstborn. The firstborn were given over to the Kohanim. It would have been that before all the firstborns would have been the Kohanim. The reason they lost that is because of the Cheta Egel. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, 
And the Jews were worshipping this golden calf. The firstborns were among those that were worshipping it. And when Moshe Rabbeinu made that famous cry, Mila Hashem Eli, who is for Hashem, come to me, be with me. It was the Levim. They were the ones that answered the call of Moshe. And because of that, they replaced the firstborns as the people that were going to be the holy priesthood. But nevertheless, still today, we have a special holiness with the firstborn. There are a number of special halachot that are connected to a firstborn son. But we need to separate between the holiness of a firstborn, that he needs to be redeemed, the, the pidyon aben, the redeeming of our firstborn children, which we'll see that the halachot connected to that are totally different from the ones connected to the inheritance of a firstborn son. A firstborn son receives a double portion in the property of his father, in the estate of his father. He doesn't receive that double portion in the estate of his mother, just in the estate of his mother, of his father. But the halachot that are connected to a firstborn are, for a firstborn son, as far as his inheritance is concerned, are very different to the ones that are connected as far as Pidyon Ben is concerned, as far as redeeming a firstborn, a firstborn that is given over to the Kohanim. As far as the reason why we need to redeem our firstborn, some say the simple understanding is because really all the firstborns should have died in Egypt. In the tenth plague, where all the firstborn children in Egypt died, so the firstborn Jewish children should have been apparently amongst that as well. But we were saved. That was the blood that was put, the Corban Pesach that was put on the, on the uh, doorposts of every home. And the angel of death, when he passed through Egypt, passed over. Passed over. And that's where we get the name of our Passover. Passed over the houses of the Jews and the Jewish firstborn were saved. Some say that that's the connection, the reason why we have a redemption of our firstborn. Others say it's because the firstborn are given over to the Beta Mikdash, each firstborn child was given over to the, to the Beit HaMikdash, that he would serve the Kohanim and serve everybody in the Beit HaMikdash. And that's the reason why we need to redeem them, because they were given over to the, um, to the service of the Beit HaMikdash. The Zohar says a different reason. The Zohar says that it's connected to the fact that because of what happened at Passover, every the, 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 the angel of death is somehow connected to each firstborn and that the Pidyan is saving him from that. That's uh, the Zohar's opinion as to why we're doing a Pidyan Aben. But whatever it is, it's an important thing that we all do to redeem the firstborn. But what is the firstborn as far as redemption is concerned? The Halachot are different, as we're going to see, from those of a firstborn as far as inheritance is concerned. First of all, a firstborn son whose father is a Kohen or a Levi does not need to be 
redeemed. He doesn't need a pidyon. He doesn't need to be redeemed. Whereas, as far as the halakhot of inheritance are concerned, where the firstborn gets a double portion, even if he's the son of a Kohen or a Levi, he also is considered a firstborn for inheritance purposes, and he'll receive a double portion. The redemption of a firstborn is only for the firstborn for his mother. The firstborn for his mother, the first child to be born, Petarechem, the first child to be born to his mother, is the firstborn that needs redemption. Whereas, as far as inheritance is concerned, it's the firstborn to the father. Even if the mother has had other children, the firstborn to the father is considered a firstborn as far as inheritance is concerned. What about where a child is born, the firstborn is born after a miscarriage? As far as the halachot of Apidian Aben are concerned, redeeming the firstborn, a child that was born after a miscarriage is not redeemed. He doesn't need this redemption, the Pidyan Aben. But as far as the laws of inheriting are concerned, as far as the laws of inheritance, the receiving of the double portion, even a child that was born after a miscarriage is considered as a firstborn for inheritance purposes. The birth must be a natural birth in both cases. A child born by a caesarean section isn't considered a firstborn either for um, a pidyon aben or for inheritance purposes. What about a child that was born after the death of his father? As far as redeeming a firstborn is concerned, the pidyon aben even if the child was born after his father died, he'll still be redeemed. He will still be holy and need to be redeemed from the Kohanim. But as far as receiving a double portion in his father's estate, if he was born after the death of his father, he doesn't receive a double portion. This is because the Pasuk tells us that the father has to have known this son. Yakir. He has to have known him and seen him and that's the person that the father has a special feeling and love for and that's the person that gets, because of this, the double portion. How do we calculate the double portion of a firstborn? The firstborn double portion is calculated like this. Let's say that someone had five sons. His estate is divided into six portions. Two of those portions are going to go to the firstborn and the other um, four portions will be divided amongst the other four sons. Right? So the double portion works like that. If there's two sons, we'll divide the estate into three portions. The firstborn will get two-thirds two and the remaining son will get one-third. That's the way we calculate it. Just like the firstborn receives a double portion, so too he has to pay a double portion. If the father dies with debts, 
just like he's inheriting a double portion of the estate of what he left before, left behind, he's also expected to pay a double portion. Because of this, the halakha is that if the firstborn decides, he could say that he doesn't want his, his double portion. He can give up on his double portion while he's, while he's either during the lifetime of the father or after the death of his father and say that he doesn't want to receive the double portion. We find this with Esav, the famous story of Yaakov and Esav, that Esav was the firstborn son of Yitzchak, Avinu, our patriarch. He was the firstborn son, and he should have inherited, had received the double portion of the inheritance. And we have the famous story that Esav came home from hunting, and he was very tired and very hungry, wanted to eat, and Yaakov said to him, okay, listen, you want to eat, sell me your, you want this food that I've just prepared, sell me your, give me your firstborn, your firstborn portion. And Asaph agreed, and he gave it to him, and we see that that was valid. The postkim actually discussed how this was valid, because can you give away something that you haven't yet received? We have a halakha that you can't give away things, you can't make a kinyan, you can't transfer ownership, of things that you don't belong to you. Things that even if you're intending to buy them in the future, it's called a davar shel obole olam. The Kutsot and the Nitivot, they both discuss this question. But the conclusion is that even though you can't sell such a thing, you can be mistalek. That means you can remove yourself so that you don't receive it. Something that is about to come to you, even though it hasn't yet come to you, you can't give it away to someone else because you don't yet own it, but you can move away, you can be mistalek so that you don't receive it. The opinion of the Katsos is you can actually give it as well. I always say when we're talking about a devar shalobo leolam, it's something that isn't, isn't, isn't uh, in existence. Today in business, we're always doing business with things that don't exist. Right? There's a very, very well-developed futures market that buys and sells and deals in um, commodities that are going to be grown in the next year, next year's wheat. The wheat in three years' time someone will buy. How can that be valid in Jewish law? Right? And does that mean that we're going to cancel the whole futures market? No. Because seeing as the custom is that you do business in such things, seeing as all kinyonim, all transactions are dependent on gmiruddha, they depend on a final and positive and definite decision by the seller and by the buyer that they want to acquire these things. The problem with something that doesn't exist is that how can you have gmiruddha if it's not there? But in modern day business where we do have gmiruddha for that, that means when we're buying and selling things that don't exist, when you're doing business on the commodity markets, it's something that we've become accustomed to do, even though the produce doesn't exist. So there's no problem in Jewish law. It works in Jewish law. Whatever is the custom for us to do, because it's the custom, there's going to be gemirudat. We're going to gemirudat really means that we're going to have a positive intention that there is a transaction here. So that definitely exists, even with a dealing in things that don't yet exist, because. Today, as I said, we have such a well-developed commodities market and many other things as well. Very often when you buy a car, you're buying a car.
that hasn't yet been created, hasn't yet been built, and it's only going to be built afterwards. Nevertheless, we don't have a problem with that. And the same thing here too with the portion of the firstborn. It can be dealt with. I must say that today, many people don't want to give their firstborns a double portion. And what do they do? Sometimes during their lifetime, they will give their firstborn something extra and say to him, look, this is your, this is your firstborn portion. Or, after they've died in their will, people today very often in their wills like to give their property to their daughters, who according to the Torah wouldn't inherit, and so people will write a will in order that they will be able to give property to their daughters. They may have other relatives that they want to help support after they die. They may have money that they want to give to charity after they die. And so many people will make a will that is not necessarily in accordance with Jewish law, the Jewish laws of inheritance. And that's become to be an accepted thing. You have to know how to do it. Right? It has to be done correctly. What many people will do, I won't get into the nitty-gritty right now of how to do a will according to the halakha, but what many people will do is that they will give away most of their property in the way they want it to be given to their daughters, to their sons, to their wives, to relatives, because also remember a wife doesn't inherit in Jewish law. If you want your wife to receive a, a portion after you pass away, then you need to write a will and to give it to her. Because if someone dies in testate, then if the case comes to a Beit Din, everything will be divided up according to the Halakha. Okay? So, someone who doesn't want that to happen, it's important that they should write a will. And they should get consult with a rabbi as to how to do it. There are many different opinions. But what I really wanted to say is that what many people will do is, after this will, they will leave a certain portion, let's say, just... Uh, to take a, take a sum, $1,000, $10,000, depending really on the size of their, their estate. And that sum, they will believe at the end and they will divide that up in, amongst their sons according to the Torah laws of inheritance with the firstborn receiving a double portion in that. But of course, what you do with your estate is your business. Discuss it with a rabbi. So you make sure that everything is done according to the halakha. It's perfectly acceptable today that people give sums to charity when they pass away because that's the last chance you have really to do a mitzvah. The mitzvahs are over when you die, right? But one thing you can still carry on doing is if you're, if you're giving charity. So charity is a big thing. Many people want to do it with their estates, with part of their estates and leaving part for the children as well. It's something that everyone, everyone's estate is totally different. Everyone should make a, consult, and, uh, consult with rabbis and advisors to decide how they want to do, to, do, to arrange their affairs. But it's a very important thing to arrange your affairs. And um, many say that it's a segula for a long life. So don't worry that once you write a will, boom, you're gonna, everyone's going to now be waiting for you to die. It doesn't work like that. Now, the firstborn doesn't receive a double portion of everything. Things that are roi, 
to come to the Father when the Father dies. That means they're not actually in his possession right now. He doesn't receive a double portion of those things. He receives a double portion of kola she of everything that the Father owns at the time he dies. He owns his house. He owns his car. He owns um, all sorts of other property, right? Stocks in a company. These are things that he owns. But money that he's... And so in all those things, the firstborn gets his double portion. But the, what about money that's owed to his estate? He lent a million dollars to somebody and that money hasn't yet been repaid. Does he receive a double portion of that money too? So the answer is no. He doesn't. He doesn't receive a double portion of things that are owed to the estate. Only of things that are there actually right now in the estate. So any money that's owed to the father is money that the firstborn is not going to get a double share of that. Because of that, there's a lot of discussion about the bank account. What about money in the bank? Does the Bechor, does the firstborn receive a double portion of that too? The question would arise because really in Halakha, as far as the laws of interest are concerned, interest of course, like a Jew is not allowed to charge interest or receive interest from another Jew. So if you have money in a Jewish bank, then we have to work out how we're going to deal with that. So really, in Halakha, we look at money that, was, that has been deposited in a bank as a loan to the bank, not as a deposit. Why is that? Because that's what it really is. Even when you put money in a current account, in an over the shav, as they call it, a current account where you can draw the money out whenever you want without any, having to give any notice, even in an account like that, we all know that in the banking world the money's not there. Right? The bank, if a hundred of us all give a hundred dollars to the bank, the bank is going to keep in their, in their safe maybe a couple of hundred dollars to cover in case any of us come and want to withdraw some money. But all the rest of it they're lending out to other people. They're treating it as money that we've lent to them. Right? And that's how the whole banking system works. It's trust, that we trust the bank that we can get our money back whenever we want. But really our money is not there. Right? They've spent it on other things, they've invested it in other things and that they're earning money on. So in, as far as interest is concerned, we treat money that's given over to the bank as a loan. Does that mean that the firstborn won't receive a double portion of, his inherit or of money that was in the father's bank? So I think we have to differentiate between current account, what we like in England we call it a current account where your money is you can, the account that you can draw money out of whenever you want. An account like that is considered if the money is there. Right? The money is there. So even if you were earning interest on that money, you, if, you're interest, if you're earning interest on that money we would need to deal with that in the way we do that is with a contract of what's called a heta iska. All the Jewish banks sign on a heta iska at the beginning of each year, which basically turns the loan into an investment. And instead of being a loaner and a debtor, a creditor and a debtor, the two become an investor and an investee. 
And that's how the relationship works. In another shiur, we'll explain the nitty-gritty of how a heta iska works. Um, so as far as receiving interest is concerned, you'll need a heta iska with the bank because we treat it like a loan. But as far as the inheritance of the firstborn is concerned, money that is in the bank in a, in, a, in a current account where you can draw the money out whenever you want, that is certainly considered as money that you own right now. And it's just being looked after the bank. The fact that it's digital and the money actually might not be there doesn't make any difference. The money is there digitally. It's there as far as we're concerned for any, any need that we need. It's not been lent to the bank. But money that's in a deposit account where there are rules about how you can withdraw that money, that clearly is a loan to the bank for them to spend on other people. And so as far as a deposit account is concerned, that would be considered as um, money that had been lent out and the firstborn would not receive a double portion of that. But money that is in a current account, that would be considered as it's in the possession of the father and the firstborn would see, receive a double portion of that money. If you have credit, credit is not considered as money that you have, even though you could use that credit whenever you want. That's not considered as money you had. That's debts. Okay? So, here today we've seen a number of differences between the halachot of a firstborn, as far as a pidyan aben is concerned, and a firstborn, as far as inheritance is concerned. The two are totally different. Right? The two are totally different things. The firstborn, the, the spiritual idea of the firstborn, is that he's given over to the Beta Mikdash, to the Kohanim, to serve them, he needs a special redemption, and that's the Pidyan Aben. Some say it's connected to the fact that the firstborns were saved in Egypt and weren't killed together with the Egyptian firstborn. And others say, and, and others say that it's a spiritual thing that they're given over to the Kohanim. Still others' opinion, as we said, the Zohar, that it's a very, very um, important thing to redeem your firstborn children. Um, but... What we do see from Chazal is that the reason why the firstborns lost their special place, that they were going to be instead of the Kohanim, they were going to be the priests, they lost that because of the Cheta Egel, because of their participation in the worshipping of the golden calf. Let me just finish by telling you a, sort, a short story that I heard, which is a beautiful story from... Um, the son of someone whose father was uh, learning in yeshiva back in those days, in the time of the Chafetz Chaim, the holy Chafetz Chaim. And he was on his way home from his yeshiva, and he stopped off in Radin to visit the Chafetz Chaim, to get a bracha. The Chafetz Chaim in those days was very, very old. Um, and he used to receive people after Shabbat. So the boy was in Yeshiva there for the Shabbat, and then after Shabbat he went to the home of the Chafetz Chaim to receive a bracha. When he went in, the Chafetz Chaim took his hand and he said to him, What's your name? 
So the boy told him his name. He said to him, are you a Cohen? He said, no, I'm not a Cohen. He said, you're not a Cohen. Why aren't you a Cohen? So the boy said, why am I not a Cohen? Because my father wasn't a Cohen. And why was your father not a Cohen? asked the Chofetz Chaim. Why was he not a Cohen? Because his father wasn't a Cohen. And his father wasn't a Cohen. And all the way back, they weren't Cohenim. So that's why I'm not a Cohen. The Chofetz Chaim looked at him and he said, I'm a Cohen. You know why I'm a Cohen and you're not a Cohen? The boy said, no, why? He said, because many years ago when we were in the desert, after coming out of Egypt, the Jewish people were serving, were worshipping an idol, a golden calf. And Moshe came out, came down from Mount Sinai, and he shouted, Mila Hashem Eli! Who is for Hashem? Whoever is for Hashem, come to me. And they were going to take revenge from the people that had started worshipping idols. Said the Chafetz Chaim, when Moshe Rabbeinu made that shout, my forefathers ran and went to Moshe Rabbeinu. And your forefathers didn't. Because of that, I'm a Kohen and you're not a Kohen. So the boy still didn't really understand what's being said here. But he could feel that there's something important coming out. The Chafetz Chaim said to him, each one of us in our lifetime has many calls of Mila Shem Elai. We all hear these calls at different times in our lifetime. The last time your parents heard, your forefathers heard this call, they didn't react. And they lost out. And because of that, I'm a Kohen and you're not a Kohen to this day. Next time you hear such a call, don't miss out. Make sure that when you hear that call of Mila Hashem Eli, that you run. And you make sure that you're on the right side. That you're on the side of Hashem. In anything that comes up during your lifetime. What a beautiful piece of Musa. What an important message the Chofetz Chaim gave over to this, this boy. All of us in our lifetimes were hearing calls of Mila Hashem Eli. There are opportunities for us to choose what to do in a particular situation. To go on the side of Hashem or Hasvishalom not on the side of Hashem. It can be a very difficult decision to decide which is the side of Hashem. But nevertheless, may Hashem give us all the kohot, the strength, that next time we hear that call of Mila Hashem Eli, that we don't make the same mistake that some of our forefathers may have made and not run to be on the side of Hashem. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a Halakhic consultation, monetary Bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call one eight four four two hundred TSHC or email info at the SHC dot org to subscribe.